Friends, good to be with you this morning, and God's word for us today today is 2 Kings 25. If you want to take a look at that, you can find it on page 314 and 315 in these white and blue Bibles there, if you've got that one in front of you. Otherwise, you can find it 2 Kings 25 and whatever you do have there. God's grace and peace are ours in Jesus. We just can't get healed. Have you had anybody say that to you? They said it to me not about their physical bodies, they were talking about their souls. They were talking about their emotions because they had they had processed so much hurt and pain and disappointment. And they were they were really talking about the Christian church that they had just been part of. They had been hopping from organization to organization and family to family and one way of life to the other way of life and and they were looking for healing. They were looking for new life for their souls. They were looking to fix the brokenness that they were feeling inside of them. Maybe you've gone through a phase like that in your life. Maybe you have been part of organizations where you could just feel the pain and the the hurt and the brokenness amongst all of the people there. And it just it seeped, seeped into your bones, and it was it was so frustrating, so disappointing to go to that organization, that place where you thought you would find new life and hope and healing, and and just day after day, we just can't get healed. That's how they thought. And then they walked away. They just walked away. Because what else is there to do if you've gone through months and years of of brokenness and hurt and pain and all of the places in your life where you thought you could find healing, there wasn't any. They just walked away. Do you know when to walk away? Maybe I should even just ask you, when do you walk away? When do you throw up your hands in life and say, enough is enough. I'm going to walk away from the people in my life. I'm going to walk away from the businesses where I work. I'm going to walk away from the organizations that I am part of. I'm going to walk away from the places that I go to. I'm going to walk away. I'm just done with it all. Today, God walks away. We're looking at the last failure. If you've gotten a little bit sick of of thinking about failure so much in your life, we're looking at the last failure uh, that we'll consider. I'm going to call it the final failure. That makes you think Rocky and the final countdown and the eye of the tiger. That's okay. That's good. That's real good. Uh, That is the final failure that we'll take today. And today, today, We've got to start to see, we, get, we see in this lesson, what happens when God walks away. I can hardly imagine, I can hardly imagine what that must have been like. What that must have felt like. What that must have looked like. If you read 2 Kings 25, you're going to see the end. We just get a summary And it all comes down to one verse. This one verse. So Judah went into captivity away from her land. The whole section is very matter-of-fact about how bad the destruction is. Uh, 
and I, I don't want to, to dramatize it or you know overplay it, but it's it's so bad it's it, it's hard to it's so a matter of fact when they say Judah went into captivity that it, it's hard to wrap your mind around what this must have felt like. So for example, exile. Babylon had attacked Judah for 20 years. Over the course of 20 years, four times they carried people off into exile. Can you imagine just staying behind and watching your your uncles or your aunts or your cousins getting take off, getting taken to a foreign country? Now, Babylon did not do as much in the deportation as the Assyrians did. Maybe only 15,000 people. The thing about it is, is, as far as we can tell, the whole population of the city of Jerusalem was about 10,000 people at that time. So they took almost the entire city of Jerusalem plus all of the people of the surrounding area. And Babylon... They practiced deportation this way. Assyria, Assyria practiced cross-deportation. So people would come from Assyria to the new country, and they, people would be taken from the new country back to Assyria, and that way they mixed the best of the culture and they spread Assyrian life. Not Babylon. Babylon just came in and they took your warriors Babylon took your skilled workers. Babylon took all of your royalty and they hauled it off and they just left the very poorest of the poor and the lowliest and the least skilled behind. That was it. And destruction. When Babylon invaded, Babylon practiced ecocide or something like ecocide. They had a scorched earth policy. So when the army came into Jerusalem, they burned everything behind them for miles. They just left a barren wasteland between them and Babylon. Can you imagine walking out the building today and seeing nothing for miles because it was all burned? But there wouldn't be a building because Babylon burned the entire city of Jerusalem and the temple. After they burned it all, it wasn't enough to burn it. No, they, they came in and they ripped the temple down stone by stone. They pulled the whole thing apart. It's hard to imagine just how devastating, how painful that must have felt for all of those people. I can hardly imagine. Something that helped me start to think about it a little bit, during World War II, there was a debate going on about our military strategy for bombing. Previously, the way we bombed cities and countries is, is at night we sent the bombers out and we filled up the, the bombers with as much bombs as they could carry and when they got over the city, opened up the doors and just killed everything. And there was this man named Hansel, man named Hansel and a couple of other men who said, wait a second here, wait a second, we need to come up with a new strategy. Why are we killing everything? Let's try to precision bomb. Precision bomb. 
that group of people came, became the bomber mafia, and they revolutionized the way that we bombed. The problem was they didn't have the technology in the 1940s to be able to just bomb the factories they wanted to bomb. And so, so Hansel and the others, they had to bomb everything. And they said it was morally repugnant. Morally repugnant. They felt terrible about it. So when we invaded Tokyo that year, what, 1943? The Americans firebombed the whole thing. In one night, 100,000 people died. 16 square miles of the city was burned to the ground. The, the fire created its own tornado, 30 mile an hour plus winds that just whipped across the city. The, the men who flew the bombers that night, they reflect on that night and they said, we hated, we hated what we were doing. We just hated it. But we felt like that was what, you know, those were the orders. That's what we had to do. Friends, this is what happens when God's judgment falls on us. God didn't even have to do anything physically to Israel, did He? God did not have to lay a finger on Judah. All He did was take away His protecting hand and the blazing inferno of sin fell on that country. Sin has this terrible, destructive force in our lives. And maybe you have lived through it or your friends and your family have lived through it and you've experienced that pain that person was talking about when they're saying, we just can't get healed because you've seen what happens when God's judgment it, it, it gets to fall on people, it falls on organizations, it falls on groups of people, and that destructive force of sin just burns everything up. You know, if there's one thing that we don't like, it's God's judgment. Right? I mean, it just makes us uncomfortable to think that somebody gets to decide what's right and wrong other than me and I have to just put up with it. People, people like to say, we try to wrap our minds around it, don't we, so we can understand it. We'll say, let's, let's not judge the person, let's just fix the person, let's help them make things right in their life. We might even minimize what people do wrong and say, oh no, that's, that's not a big deal, that's okay, let's just let it go. Friends, all of that is, is making something making God into something that he's not. God's not a, a moral monster. He's not willy-nilly, arbitrarily deciding who to pick on and, and who to let get away with stuff. Solomon, the wise man, he wrote a couple hundred years before all of this happened. He wrote this. He said, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there'll be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. God's that kind of a judge. Let me give you a, a little example. If I walked out to you right now and I just hit you in the face, 
I smashed you in the face. How many of you would hit me back? Yep, yep, there's a couple of you who are like, yep, I wouldn't hold nothing back. You're getting it right away. But most of you would be like, wait a second, what just happened? What just happened, right? Because you, you would be hesitant to say I was wrong. You'd be hesitant to jump all over me. Now, if I walked out there, though, and I, I hit some, the person next to you, how many of you would turn right away and hit me back? Yeah, a lot more hands go up, right? A lot more hands go up. Why? Why? Because not only are we comfortable with the fact of saying, I'm going to defend this other person, but, but we're comfortable with the fact that say, of saying, if I'm defending somebody else, that's, that's wrong. That's just wrong. And do we realize that God is that kind of a judge? When God says in, in the Bible, he says he judges both the righteous and the wicked, that means that whether you and I are doing mostly right things, but just a little bit of wrong things, or mostly wrong things and a few right things, God holds nothing back on, on all of those things. He is willing to, to judge all of them. He doesn't look at you and say, oh, well, you're a pastor. You're such a nice guy most of the time. We'll let you get away with hitting that person this one time. No, like a whole bunch of you, he's like, absolutely not, right? No way. Because he's not arbitrary. He's not willy-nilly picking what's right and wrong. He judges all of sin for your good. Do we realize that's what he's doing? When God judges, he's not trying to ruin your life. He's protecting your life. Like the person that you defend right next to you. If I come out and I give you a good slug and you defend that person and you hit me, God is defending you. God says in the Bible that he, he made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And then God let all of his discipline, all of his judgment, and all of his punishment fall on Jesus. Do we realize what that means? That means that God took Jesus and he let him become the sin that was attacking us so that God could judge that sin. God could destroy that sin. God could burn that sin up and set it aside. Also that you and I could be protected under him. There's one neat thing that happened in that fire burning in Tokyo. One small, good little thing. There was a, a girl, and my Japanese is not very good, but her name was Haruo Nihi. Haruo Nihi. She was eight years old, and then that night when the fires started, her parents and her, she, they ran out of the, their house as quickly as they could. In the madness of the crowd, she got separated from her parents. And then being eight, she was quickly, what, swamped, overwhelmed by the crowd and pushed down to the ground. Then people started falling on top of her. When the fires ended the next morning, Haruo came out from under the pile of people. She had been protected all night from those fires by their bodies. She had space to breathe. 
One of the reasons we know what we know about those fires firsthand is from Haruo and people like her, whose other, who were protected by bodies. God took Jesus who had no sin and He made Him be sin so that His body would protect you and I from the flames of judgment and destruction. And that's why you and I should just stand there even if we feel like God walks away. Just stay there because God's fire of judgment, it will pass over us. It has fallen on Him and it will never fall on you and on me. You stand, even if you feel like God's judgment has walked away. And that, my friends, right? I know that that's not an easy thing. It is not an easy thing to stay under, to, to stay hidden underneath those protecting arms in our organizations, in our families, in the difficult places where we live, when we feel like everything is falling apart around us, we feel that pain, we feel that brokenness. It's not an easy thing to stay there. One of the good things is to realize that in that fire, God is working to save. One little example that really struck me there was a, a, a pastor who told the story. He told the story about doing a funeral uh, at a young boy's, uh, for a young boy, 16 years old, something like that. And after he did the funeral, he was so broken up about doing the funeral that he went to a, a local coffee shop and he was just beside himself, right? crying and upset. And there was a man that walked in, a man that had been at his church. And the man sat down with him. He could see that he was visibly upset. He started to talk with him, and the pastor told him, you know, why, why would God let something like this happen? Why, why, would it, why does God allow such pain and, and hurt to come into our lives? And the man listened, and he prayed, and, and then just as he got up to walk away, he told him this. He said, you know, did I ever tell you how I got to know Jesus? My friend, about 16 died. And it was at a funeral for the first time, his funeral, where I heard the gospel. It was his funeral where I, I heard the good news that Jesus had died and risen for my sins. And friends, I'm not saying that all of the judgment that comes into our lives from God over sin is somehow a good thing. The pain and the evil and the hurt, that is real and that's terrible. But I am saying that God is a savior. He's not a healer. He's not a fixer. He's a money, not a money maker. He's a savior. And he comes to us in our worst times when we face judgment and sin and consequences. And that's when he rescues us. So you stand firm. You stand even when he walks away and expect him to save. You stand and he will save. That's what he does. Can I pray for us as we face that judgment even in our own lives? Lord, it's, we feel like there's so much hurt and pain and brokenness in our lives. We experience your judgment, maybe even not on ourselves, but just on the world around us, on the people around us, as a heavy hand. And it's, it's painful. It, it hurts. It's hard to go through. 
We ask that you would speak to us in this judgment and help us stand firm. Come to us to rescue us and save us. Let us know that you have not only not abandoned us, but you are working to save us. Bring us through that fire and bring us to our new and everlasting life where there will be no more fire and hurt and pain, no more brokenness, but new life forever. We pray for that day in Jesus' name. Amen.